One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Thanks, Judy, and hello, everybody. As Dave says, I'm Libby. I'm one of the clergy here. It's lovely to welcome you all to P's and G's this evening. I love that story in the Bible that Judy just read to us. I love Luke's gospel is my favorite gospel, and that story is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. It just sort of blows my mind. So I thought we'd just unwrap it a little bit in the next few minutes. Just just imagine the scene that uh, Judy's just read to us. Jesus is on the banks of Lake Gennesaret. So if you imagine you're the lake, I'm Jesus, okay? And we're, we're, he's on the banks of Lake Gennesaret. And the crowds who've been following all, all around for about the last year are gathered around him. And they're so fascinated by what he has to say. They've heard all about his, uh, his stories. They've seen him. Some of them have seen him do incredible miracles, healing people, casting out demons. And they're crowding around him to the point where, if you're the sea, remember, I'm Jesus. He's like here they're like the crowds are like pressing around he's thinking I'm gonna fall into the lake in a minute Uh, they're pressing around him so much and so he's thinking what am I gonna do because I've got more stuff to tell this crowd and he looks around and he sees over here uh, just in another part of the shore two fishermen and uh, they're, they're sort of looking after their nets and washing them. They've already been out fishing, and their boats are just pulled onto the shore. And so he wades through the crowd and goes over to one guy called Simon and, and says to him, Simon, and he says, yes, Jesus. Uh, I think he probably does say that. Um, he says, would you mind just taking your boat back out into the lake, letting me get on the boat, and if you could just push me out so that then the crowds can continue to, to listen to me, that'd be great. Now, when I read that, I thought, well, would I have given Jesus my boat? I don't know, but I think Simon has become familiar with Jesus. He's heard some of the stuff that Jesus has been saying. He's fascinated by Jesus. He thinks he's a safe bet. So he says, yeah, and he brings his boat around and Jesus steps in his boat and they push him out so that then everybody can hear him. Everybody can see him without this crowd around him. And he continues teaching the people from this boat in the lake. 
After a while, he finishes speaking. I reckon some, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I think somebody probably pulled his boat back onto shore again. Because then he walks back over to Simon. The crowd have started to disperse at this point, go on their way. And he heads over to Simon, who he spoke to earlier. And he says to Simon, Simon, and he says, yes, master. And he said, you know, I think you should take your boat out to deep water and let your nets over again. What do we know about Jesus? He is not a fisherman. He is a carpenter. He's a teacher. He's a miracle worker. He's been hanging out with loads of people. But we don't know at all that Jesus is a fisherman. Simon is the fisherman. He knows all about fishing. It's his business. And he's thinking, what is that all about? So he says to Jesus, but you know, I've already spent all night out in the middle of the lake. Why are you asking me to go and take my boat out again and do some fishing in the daylight? You know, the fish don't bite in the daylight. They only bite at night or come into the net or whatever they were doing. I'm not a fisher person. Um, But remember, uh, Simon has heard about Jesus. He's heard some of the things that Jesus has said. He's fascinated by him. He knows this is somebody who's not your regular guy. And so he says, yeah, okay, I'll I'll do as you say. And he gets in his boat and he goes out into the depths of, of the lake and he casts his net over the side of the boat and he waits. But he only waits for a few minutes because actually the, the nets start to move. Things start to happen. The boat starts to sway and he looks over the side and he sees his nets are getting filled with fish and he starts to pull in the nets and it, there's so many fish, he can't do it on his own. So his mates are still on the shore and so he calls over to his friends. He's like, come and help me. I cannot do this on my own. And they jump in their, their boats and they head out and they join him and together they pull those nets that are heaving with fish onto Simon Peter's boat and onto their boats as well. They cannot believe their eyes. There are more fish than they have ever seen before, an abundance of fish. They are completely gobsmacked. And once they've got them in the boats, they start heading to shore again, thinking, I can't believe this. I can't believe what this guy has done. And Simon Peter, he gets out of his boat and he sees Jesus just sat on the shore. And he's thinking, I'm just overwhelmed. What has this guy done? You know, I've heard about him, but now I've seen him. Now I've experienced for myself what this guy is all about. And he's just overwhelmed by Jesus. And he runs up to Jesus. And the passage tells us that he falls at Jesus' knees. He falls at Jesus' knees, overwhelmed. And he says, Lord, you know, get away from me because I'm a sinful man. He knows that he's in the presence of somebody holy. He knows he's in the presence of somebody who is far greater than him. And it blows his mind. And he just sits at Jesus' knees and says, get away from me because I'm a sinful man. And what does Jesus do? I think he just looks at Simon. And he looks with eyes that are filled with compassion. He knows Simon. He knows he's a sinful man. He knows the things he's thought and he's said and he's done and the way he's like, you know, weighed fish wrong or whatever you do or, uh, you know, fished in the wrong part of the lake. He knows all that stuff. But he looks at Simon and I reckon a smile comes onto Jesus' face. And he says to him, 
Simon, don't be afraid. Come on, we're going to go and fish for people. And then he walks off. And what does Simon do? He runs to the edge of his shore where he's left his boat. And his mates, James and John, do so as well because they've seen it all as well. And they grab their boats and they pull their boats ashore. And then they leave that beach and they follow Jesus. It's an incredible scene. And it's one that's replicated again and again through the Gospels. Jesus just blowing people's minds with his miracles with the way that he looks with compassion into people's lives, the way that he teaches them, and the way that he calls them out. Matthew, leave your tax collector's booth. Come and follow me. Andrew, leave your nets. Come and follow me. Mary, you know, leave your life of sin. Come and follow me. And they do. They just make this decision. They make a decision and they become disciples of Jesus. Lots of you who are here tonight are here because you've heard about Jesus. And you've experienced Jesus. And you've heard that call for yourself. You've heard Jesus call you. Come and follow me. And you have, if you like, you know, stepped out and you've said yes to Jesus. You've decided to follow him. And some of us that are here tonight haven't decided yet. It's like perhaps you're one of the crowd on the shore. You're here because you're interested and you're listening to what Jesus has to say. You know some of the stuff that he's done and, and you might have even experienced something of his love. And maybe you're still wondering, what is the fuss all about? What is this? It might be for them, but is this for me? And you're waiting to be convinced. Simon left that beach that day as a disciple of Jesus. And it just started with a simple decision. And it's no different for any of us. Following Jesus is a decision about a person about the person of Jesus. It, it's not, a, he said to, to his disciples, come and follow me. He didn't say, come and follow this set of rules. He didn't say, come and follow this lifestyle that I'm going to tell you about. He didn't say, follow this way of life. He didn't say, follow this religion even. He said, come and follow me. The decision is all about the person of Jesus. And I wonder, do we know the person of Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know this person who everywhere he walked brought in the kingdom of God? Who made the paralyzed walk and who forgave sin? Who said to people who were at the bottom of the pile, I know you and I love you and I accept you for who you are. Come and follow me. You have value. You have worth in my kingdom. Do you know the person who came to restore the brokenhearted? Who came to bring sight to the blind? Who came to release the captive and the addict? This person who is God in human flesh. This person who got strung up on a cross and with his dying breath said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. 
And then he stretched out his arms and died. But then three days later, because he is God, he couldn't stay dead. And he rose again from the grave, smashing death to pieces. This person who made the impossible possible. This person who made it possible for each one of us to live in relationship with the living God now and for eternity. It's all about the person of Jesus. So I wonder, have you made your decision? Have you said yes to Jesus' call to you and to me? Come and follow me. Be my disciple. And I wonder right now whether some of us here tonight, this is your moment to make that decision. To say, yeah, I, you know, yeah, this makes sense. I need to follow Jesus with my whole life. Maybe this is your time to step out, to, if you like, sort of step off that beach and follow Jesus with your life. Have you made that decision? When Simon Peter and those other disciples uh, left that beach that day, they, they pulled their, their boats ashore and said yes to Jesus. They were all in. They, they gave everything. They were committed to Jesus. Simon, you know, he left his nets. He left his boat. He left his job. He left his identity. He left his livelihood because Jesus was calling him. And Jesus was calling him to something bigger, to something eternal. And he gave up everything to follow Jesus. And it was like Jesus gave him new clothes and new identity as the loved child of God. He was all in. He gave everything, all he had, all he was, all he did to following Jesus. He was committed. Some of us have made that decision to follow Jesus. But in a culture uh, that we live in, which is so demanding of us, isn't it? Dave was sharing uh, this morning when he was speaking um, about how Netflix uh, put this uh, quote out. At Netflix, we are competing for our customers' time. So our competitors include Snapchat, YouTube, and sleep. Netflix are after your sleep. And some of us in this culture, which is so demanding of our time, so demanding of us, we feel like we're pulled in so many different directions all the time. We might have said yes to following Jesus. We might have made that decision to follow him. But we're, it's like we're carrying on regardless because we haven't given him our all. If we're following Jesus, we need to be all in. There's no carrying on regardless. Jesus gives us like a new purpose in every part of our lives. So if you think about it, our decisions that we make, our decisions shape the commitments that we make, and our commitments shape the rest of our lives. Our decisions shape our commitments, and our commitments shape the rest of our lives. My husband's uh, cousin, he, he, he was a great swimmer as a teenager. Um, and he decided that he wanted not just to be a great swimmer, but a world-class swimmer. He was already committed to swimming, but he went that extra mile. He would go to every single training session there was. He got up at five o'clock 
every morning for 10 years. The thought of that almost makes me want to throw up. But he did it because he was committed and he decided he wanted to be a world-class swimmer. And he's, he was committed to being the best he could possibly be. And that commitment shaped the rest of his life. That decision that he made when he was about 13 years old shaped the rest of his life. He swam for Team GB. He was in the Commonwealth Games. He got a silver medal in the breaststroke. He um, went on to become a sports journalist, uh, writing and broadcasting about swimming around the world. He then built a swimming pool in Mallorca, because that's what you do when you're an ex-swimming person. And now people from all over the world go to his swimming pool in Mallorca to learn how to be like him. That commitment that he made, based on that decision, shaped the rest of his life. What are you committed to and how does it shape your life? Maybe you've decided to study maths at university. Goodness knows why you would do that. Goodness me, I know there are some mathematicians here. If you've decided to study maths at uni, you have to commit to that course. You have to go go all in for that course and actually you've got to do the work But that shapes the rest of your life. It might influence the job that you have in the future. It'll probably influence the friends that you have at university because you'll meet all these other mathematicians and people who love maths as well. It can shape the rest of your life. The decisions that we make influence the commitment that we make and they shape the rest of our lives. What are you committed to? Making money? Football? Cricket? Hockey? Your Xbox? Your family? your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your studies, having fun, your phone, Jesus? What are you committed to and how does it shape your life? Christian writer Rick Warren says this, we become whatever we're committed to. It doesn't just shape us, we become what or who we're committed to. And for some of us here, As I'm talking about commitment, that that word, commitment, it like completely freaks you out. You're sat there thinking, I don't do commitment. I don't do commitment. I get get some of this, but I don't do commitment. Because, you know, maybe we're just scared to commit to something. uh, Because we're scared that it might demand too much of us, too much of our lives. Uh, Maybe we've been let down when we've committed before. And so commitment just freaks us out. But there's good news because the great news is that making a commitment to Jesus is making a commitment to the one who is faithful, who won't leave you, who loves you unconditionally, who is perfect in every way, who longs to see you and I becoming holy in the way that he is holy. It's about committing to someone who won't let you down. And Jesus makes it clear what that looks like, uh, what the result of that looks like in John 10.10 when he says this, the thief comes to steal and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. We become what we're committed to. I'm just going to ask Matt to come up the front. Um, Dave's already mentioned who Matt is. Uh, Matt is looking after our student work with Judy uh, this year. And 
What do you do when you're not doing student stuff, Matt? This yeah. is Matt. Hi, I'm a GP. You're a GP, so he's a doctor. So you've got lots going on in your life as well. He's like the coolest fiddle player as well uh, that I know. So well done. How for many that. fiddle players do you know? I know, I know quite a few actually. You are a cool fiddle player. Anyway, so I just wanted to ask. Um, uh, sorry, that's all right. You're really good as well. He's cooler. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before it all breaks down, Matt, I've got uh, a few questions just to ask you about, about your sort of journey of faith. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you decided to follow Jesus? Yeah, sure. Um, I, was, um, well, I was brought up in a Christian home, so um, I had quite a, you know, exposure to, to Christian things. Um, but I didn't really start engaging with, you know, deciding to commit until I was a teenager, really. And um, that sort of came about um, through kind of youth work at church. So um, I had a really amazing youth leader who um, was also a, a surgeon in his day job. So he had a, a kind of a breadth of experience, life experience that was just, you know, fantastic to kind of hear stories about. And um, he used to teach us Bible and he used to share experience of faith. and. His passion for Jesus was just utterly kind of infectious, mm -hmm. to use a better, you know, for want of a better word. Um, keeping with a medical yeah, theme. Yeah, keeping with a medical yeah. theme. Um, and uh, I remember one session in particular, he um, was teaching on the cross. And um, back in those days, he was using an OHP, an overhead projector. And uh, uh, the, uh, the, he used an acetate with a, an image of the, the cross on it, you know, drawn in felt tip, um, with some stick men underneath it. Um, and some of those people were uh, in the shadow of the cross, and, and some of them weren't. And he was talking to us about, um, you've got a choice of accepting God's grace freely given because of what Jesus has done on the cross, or, or, or you don't accept it. And um, as a, a middle-class teenage boy, he was pretty, pretty goody two-shoes, really, worked hard. Actually, I needed to hear that, that I was a, a sinner, and um, I needed saving. Um, and so that was the, the moment that I said yes. Um, but there was kind of ups and downs from there as well. Um, mm -hmm. I remember having a, a big crisis of faith in my second year of uni. Um, I was living with a, in a flat with some really intelligent, intellectual non-Christians, and they were asking some tough questions about faith, and um, I, it made me kind of reevaluate. Had lots of doubts, and um, I spent probably a year in the kind of existential wilderness, um, kind of re-evaluating faith, you know, looking at the historicity of the Bible and um, uh, asking lots of questions. And that was quite a, a lonely experience, actually, kind of mm. quite nihilistic at times. But, you know, as I looked at different worldviews and was applying different lenses of, of how you can view life, kind of coming back to the, the Christian worldview, that, that lens provided the, the best clarity. Um, 
um, and matched up with my experience of life and people and, and mm -hmm. so yes yeah, and Brilliant. so I kind of recommitted at that point. Yeah. So you made a decision but there were challenges but you sort of made a decision again later on when you were sort of yeah. in second year. So you made that decision and what did the actual commitment look like for you? Yeah so um, I think as a, as a teenager it's quite difficult to sort of think back to that time but I mean I was, I was confirmed at the time which is a bit like the affirmation services we have here where I kind of publicly declared that and I think that was an important step actually because somehow saying it out loud to people in public um, means that you've, I don't know, it gives greater weight there to, to that. Um, and so kind of part of that was, you know, committing to church regularly, um, meeting with other people, um, worshipping together, hearing God's word taught. I was part of a Bible study group that, again, delved into to God's word because that commitment, as we've been hearing about, is it's, a, it's about relationship, isn't it? And getting to know Jesus. And the more you, the more you read the Gospels, the more compelling um, Jesus is, and you, you know, the more you fall in love, basically. Um, so, so that was that that process as a as a as a teenager, and that's the as a kind of growth, and then there's the kind of living out bit. And at, at school, that's kind of shaping what you you know who you hung out with, what decisions you made, trying to live distinctly in that environment. You know how how am I? How am I shaped by this commitment compared to the, the people around me? So how do you think it has shaped you? How has your decision and your commitment shaped the rest of your life so far? Um, in a nutshell. Yeah, in a nutshell. I, I think fundamentally that, that comes down to identity. So um, I know that my identity is primarily in Christ. And that is incredibly freeing because gone are all the other things that society would put me, you know, put me into different boxes. So, you know, it doesn't matter what gender I am, what sexual orientation, what ethnicity, what job I do, where I am on the socioeconomic ladder. None of those different strata of identity matter apart from the fact that I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. Um, so understanding that, and then understanding that everyone else that I meet in whatever walk of life, whether that's part of being a GP or here at church or you know, whatever scenario, they are also equally known and loved by God, and God wants to be in relationship with them. And knowing those two things gives the framework for everything else. So... That shapes my ethics, morality, what I do with my money, what I do with my time, everything. Brilliant. Thanks for sharing that. That's brilliant. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Just real gold, wasn't it? Real, real life. Um, living this out. What does it actually look like? what we decide and, and what we commit to, it shapes the rest of our life. And, and I was thinking about how here at P's and G's, uh, we're, we've been launching our new strategy over the last few months, and we're really about to push into that in the next few weeks. And, and we think it involves a big stretch 
a big stretch in terms of what we think Jesus is calling us to as his disciples at this time, in this place, in this culture. And that means that for all of us, we need to, to make decisions and we need to commit and we need to be shaped and we need to be renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit if we're going to be used in the way that we believe that God is calling us to be used in the city. Uh, Steve Addison is a guy who writes about missionary movements uh, through history. These are like the times where people have just really stepped out boldly in faith and, and seeing God bring renewal and revival of whole towns or cities or communities. And he's found this in his studies, that great movements begin with white hot faith. Great movements begin with white, hot faith. Are you up for it? Are you ready to say yes to Jesus? Are you going to be committed as a disciple of Jesus? Are you up for asking the Holy Spirit to renew you, to bring your faith alive, to make it white, hot for him? Are you up for uh, letting him set your heart on fire, to renew your faith, to be part of what God, God is calling us to be and to do in changing lives and transforming society. Some of us here, I think, want the fire. We want the excitement. We want the feeling. But we don't want the cost. And Matt was just sharing us the cost for him, the times where he's had to step out and almost fight for his faith. That the cost is part of the deal of being a disciple of Jesus. We have a log-burning stove in our lounge, and I'm not wanting to gender stereotype here, but my husband is miles better at dealing with it than I am. Um, and he was, um, it was one Saturday afternoon last winter, and uh, the log-burning stove was burning away in our lounge, keeping us all warm. And John, my husband, he had to go out for a little while. And he said to me as he left, you were in charge of the fire, Libby. I was thinking, I don't know why the nine-year-old can't be in charge of the fire. But he said, Libby, you're in charge of the fire. Don't let it go out, were his parting words to me. And to be honest, I, I forgot about it for a little while. I went and made myself a, couple of, a cup of tea. I uh, played words with friends on my phone. Uh, I was having a lovely time. And then I noticed, I noticed that the, the fire had started uh, to go out a bit. But I was sat on the sofa on the other side of the room, cup of tea in hand, and it seemed like such an effort to get up off my butt and walk to the other side of the room and put a log on the, well, open the door, put a log on the fire, poke the fire a bit to make it come alive. It was just too much effort. And so I just sat on my sofa and pulled the rug over me to keep me warm. And then after about another 30 minutes, I started to get a little bit chilly and I looked and the fire had completely gone out. And then John got back. And I was like sat on my, under my blanket, complaining to him. I was like, it's flipping freezing in this house. I don't know why we can't have the heating on. And he said to me, you've let the fire go out. I'm not surprised you're cold. Somebody else, a guy called Thomas Kelly said this that our job as Jesus' disciples is to nurture the flame of our inner sanctuary. 
nurture the flame of your inner sanctuary. It won't just happen on its own. If we don't nurture the fire, the fire will go out. We need to actually tend the fire of our souls to invest in our relationship with Jesus if we want to have white hot faith. In John 15, uh, Jesus talks about how he is like the vine and we are the branches. And if we want to bear fruit for him, if we want to see the kingdom of God come, we need to remain in him. Abide in me, he says. Be connected to me. Don't give up that connection. And we live in a culture today where it's all about the quick fix, it's all about the app, it's all about instant gratification. We, it's all about, you know, pressing the button and it'll arrive at your doorstep. We go for the feeling, but without the cost. But being of a disciple of Jesus isn't like this. We need to tend the fire of our relationships with Jesus. And it's not actually that difficult. It's quite simple but it might involve us getting off our butts, our spiritual butts, and putting a spiritual log on that fire. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and to renew us as his people. And we also need to commit to the spiritual disciplines, the things that he has given us to help us to grow as his disciples, to help the fire not go out. So what are those things? There aren't any trendy 21st century ways around this. The things that we have to do are to read the Bible. Matt's mentioned these things. We need to read the Bible. We need to pray. And we need to go to church. It's not that complicated. We need to be saturated in Scripture. We need to be saturated in the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. We need to read it as though we were stood on that shoreline, listening to Jesus speaking to us as we read those words of Jesus in the Gospels and allow him to speak to us through his word. We need to hear his promises and know them and apply them to our lives. We need to get to know Jesus and build that relationship with him. He's given us like a treasure chest and it's called the Bible. But if you want to experience the treasure, you need to open the lid of that treasure chest and like dive in and pull out all the gold and the jewels that are in that treasure chest. Open the Bible, ask the Spirit to speak to you through it. There are on the screen just uh, a few different apps and Bibles. Get yourself a decent Bible. You know, there are some, some ideas up there. Uh, use the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. It's brilliant. Look at the Bible Project website. Amazing if you want to understand what the Bible is all about. The red one is the Bible in One Year app. There's so many things out there to help us to get to know Jesus through the Bible. Then we're given this amazing gift, and it's called prayer. And it's the ability to talk to God. And just make God part of your everyday. Some, some of us think, you know, I haven't set aside that time to pray today, so I can't pray to God. It's rubbish. Just talk to God. You can talk with your mates. You can text. You can WhatsApp. You can Snapchat. You can do all those things. Give time to talk to God. How about this? Before you get out of bed in the morning, before you reach for your phone and you look at your social media or read the news or look at the weather or whatever it is you do on your phone first thing in the morning, just before you do that, talk to God. Say, morning, God. Here's my life today. You know what I'm doing. You know who I'm going to meet. 
just pray that you fill me with your spirit, that you would go before me. You give me opportunities to be your, you, your person today, to love, to have compassion, to share you with the people I meet. Get up out of bed. What a great way to start your day. Pray. Make prayer part of your life. Commit to reading the Bible, to praying, and come to church. Come to church. Jesus called his followers off that beach, and he called them into community with him, and it was like the first church. He says, we're going to do this together. You can't do it on your own. If you do it on your own, you will drop out big style, and so often we think that we can do it on our own as disciples of Jesus. He calls us to be church, to do church together, to be in community. It's great. It's a great place to be, to grow, to encourage each other, to draw other people into and say, come and meet my friends, meet my community, meet this bunch of weirdos where we come together and we do Christian karaoke, but we love the person of Jesus. That's what it's all about. Simon Peter and Jesus' other disciples, they decided to follow Jesus and they were committed and their lives were shaped their lives were changed by him. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Their faith was white hot as they lived and they spoke about the transforming power of Christ. And tonight, I just think that God is calling two groups of people out. You know, Simon, when he decided to follow Jesus, when Jesus said to him, you know, come and leave your nets, come, I'm going to make you a fisher of people. Simon had to get up and he had to leave his boat behind, and he had to follow Jesus off that beach, off from the shoreline, which was everything that he knew. It was his place, his people, his identity, and he followed Jesus, and, and it was costly for him, but actually it changed his whole life. And for some of us, I said earlier that some of us might feel that God is calling us to say yes to him for the first time, or maybe for the second or third time, a bit like Matt was describing when he was at uni, and he had to decide again to follow Jesus. And for some of us here, we're like, yeah, I never have made that decision, or I've made it and I left it behind and I need to make it again. It might, that might be you tonight. And there's another group of people, and I think that God is calling us, some of us, to actually step out and be renewed by the Holy Spirit. Because you're like, I want that white hot faith that we've been speaking about tonight. I've made that decision. You know, I've committed my life, but, you know, I really want to go for it. I want God to fill me with his spirit and renew me, renew every part of me so I can be all out for Jesus in my workplace or my university or, or in my family. And sometimes God calls us to, like, again, just leave our boat behind and to step out and to walk forward. And Dave's going to lead us in a moment, but we're going to give you the opportunity, if either of those applies to you, to, to literally step out of your chair. Sometimes you've got to do these bold things. Because this, if, if we can't do it here where we're all mates, where can we do it? Where is the Holy Spirit calling you out tonight? And calling you to leave your boats and to follow Jesus in a way that you haven't ever done before.